Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 233. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. Richard Ryerson here. Thank you for tuning into this show. So appreciative that you're here on Dose of Leadership for yet another outstanding conversation with a thought-based leader, someone who's actually living and breathing leadership. That's what the show is about. We highlight leadership because it's central to everything that we do. All of us are impacted. Every aspect of our life is impacted by leadership. As Dr. John Maxwell says, everything literally rises and falls with leadership, and it's so true. We're influencing people without even trying, so think of the impact we can make in this world if we became influential of adding value to people's lives. That's the secret sauce to leadership. You hear me say it all the time. It's adding value to other people's lives. That's how you become an influential leader. It's at its core. It's being selfless. It's doing things and not expecting anything in return. But the good news is you will get so much back. Tenfold, twentyfold, a hundredfold. Who knows? But you'll get way more back than you would if you're trying to focus on yourself and what's in it for you. It's a selfless way of looking at leadership, and that's what we profess and talk about on this show. I hope you're finding some value and dose of leadership, and please, you hear me ask this all the time, but all this great free content coming up on 250 interviews, getting close to that mark, a lot of great free content, all for you to explore here on Dose of Leadership, and all I ask is if you just take the time to subscribe to this, take it on your mobile device. If you got an Apple device, iTunes works, mobile device, or Android device, Stitcher works well. Leave a rating and review. It helps keep the visibility front and center. So we're continuously staying in that top 25 business podcast so more and more people can find it and continue to find value and help along in their leadership journey. All right. Great guest today. I know I always say that, but my gosh, this is such a fun conversation. Really got into this conversation. My guest, Olka Dillon, the spiritual CEO She's the founder and chief executive officer of Technolink. We didn't talk much about Technolink, but she has a book called The Ohm Factor, which is a uh, leadership guide, a woman's spiritual guide to leadership. And that's what I love. You know, you cannot devoid spirituality. You cannot separate spirituality from leadership. I've been a huge proponent of that for a while now, and that's why this conversation was so fun. Olka completely understands this. You'll see, this is one of the best conversations I've had on Dose of Leadership, and I know I say that a lot, and I have a lot of favorites, but this one was fantastic, and I was so appreciative to have Olka on the show. She truly is a genuine and warm spirit, and truly understands leadership 
at least the way we talk about it here on Dose of Leadership, and it's really refreshing um, to get her perspective. And so I won't waste any more time. Without further ado, here is the spiritual CEO, Olka Dillon, on Dose of Leadership. Well, Olka, I'm so excited that you're on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Thank you, Richard. It's so great to be here. Yeah, so many questions. You know, I don't know if you knew this or not, but I'm a father of four daughters. Did you know that? I don't think we talked about that, but um, I No, I didn't know that, and you're blessed. <laughs> yes. So I don't know what it's like to have boys, but I'm always, I love talking to um, women leaders, women CEOs, women entrepreneurs, people who are passionate about um, kind of leadership in the women's realm, because I want those examples. I can't give those to my daughter, right? I'm coming from a male Marine Corps perspective. And so it's always entertaining and educational for me to sit down and talk with uh, women like yourself who've accomplished so much in the field of leadership. So uh, congratulations on all of that. And I'm excited to talk to you. So tell me a little bit more of the background. I just, we don't have to go through the complete bio, but I'm curious about how you've got interested in entrepreneurship, interested in leadership. Was it your dream as a, a young girl to, to run your own business, to be the leader of a business? How did it start for you? So I kind of, uh, I have entrepreneurship running through my veins. My father was in the restaurant business. And so I grew up, um, this isn't so sexy, but I grew up washing dishes at age seven or sweeping the floor and mopping the floor and not getting paid for it. That doesn't necessarily translate into, oh, I want my own business if this is what it is. But what it does is it, you know, it truly teaches you that um, you can, you know, how to earn a dollar how to basically be the queen or the king of your own domain, if you so choose. I mean, he came here as, um, I happen to be a first-generation Indian-American woman, and um, so my parents both came over here in the 60s, and my father got his master's here um, at GW. I'm from the D.C. area. And, you know, I just, he came here with nothing, you know, like a lot of immigrants, and I just him build these restaurants and and you know take them to places and you you just can see that something can come out of nothing right if you if you put in the work and if you follow your dreams and if you follow your intuition and if you follow your heart so i saw all of this and and I, and i'm growing up and but i follow the path right of 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 going through the normal education and I go to university and I finish that and I go get a job and, and I'm in corporate America and that's great. And I tell you, it just hits you. I sat there and I said, I am making these people so much money every year. I should really be doing this for myself. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And I then just said, you know what? There's no better time than the present. <laughs> so yeah. I took that jump and did that. But I tell you, um, for all you entrepreneurs out there, there's never, ever a an ideal time. If anyone knows about information technology, there was, and I'm going to date myself, but in the 90s, um, that was the boom, right? The late 90s was the boom in the IT uh, IT industry where people were just making money hand over fist. It was just, you know, it was a bubble that was going to explode. And when did it explode? It exploded in 2000 when Elka decided to start her own firm. <laughs> so <laughs> right. it, uh, it, um, so, so all, all that I thought was going to be there wasn't, but you know, there's nothing like, there's nothing like a challenge to just wake you up and have you really dig deep and go back to those principles and foundations that you've learned throughout, you know, 
and uh, and go after it. And um, so that's 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 my story. You know, and I, there's so many things, and I've talked to you know with over 250 interviews, and probably the biggest lesson I've learned over the last three years of, is realizing that the difference or the differentiator between um, or, or a characteristic that is so required is that you can never, ever give up. But the, t- the tenacity piece or the tenacious piece that, that has to be part of, of your makeup because you're right. I think sometimes we go into these, these, these ventures, these plans, these dreams, and we think, oh, this is how it's going to be. And, of course, we have this idea of what it could be like, and that gives us the fuel. But when you're kind of hit with that unexpected downturn of the bubble bursting or this isn't turning out like I'm supposed to, that's where you really find out who you really are and obviously you've continued on was it your father or that kind of washing the dishes I mean where did that tenacious spirit come from oh gosh it was well I mean I I bring up washing the dishes because it really you know it just even I can remember Richard the the scalding water hitting my hands and you know you just you, you remember all these things right but yes he always instilled in us you have four daughters I come from a family of three girls so he also was blessed with only daughters mm. and he just wanted us to just know that you you can do anything that you set your mind to and by the way I'm going to stand behind whatever it is that you do and I believe in you right, right? right. and that's what I think really truly fueled me is I, I didn't even know, to be honest with you, what failure was because anytime I would make a mistake, it was embraced. All he yeah. would say to me was, that's okay. Just make sure you don't make the one that overtakes you. Right. What a gift. And yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a gift because right. As long as it hasn't overtaken you, you're going to continue on. Right. And so I never realized that that was, people would call that failure. So I, and I didn't even learn this until I was at university. I went to UVA and some, I forget what it was. I don't know if it was one of my sorority sisters or roommate, or I forget who exactly it was, but they just, you know, they came in and they were just dejected and they said, you know, I, I went out for this job and I went out for this interview, right? We were interviewing in our fourth year and, you know, I didn't get it. And, you know, they told me to, you know, talk about my, my successes and my failures. And I talked about my failures and all the things that she was saying that were failures. I thought they were fantastic. And I said, Oh my gosh, but because of that, you got that opportunity. Oh my gosh, because you did this, you met that person. And as I was saying that to her, she said, you're right. right. I should have said those are my successes. Yep. <laughs> you, know? you know, that's that's what's so crazy. And I think it's you know, obviously doing the show and surrounding people who think like this. But I even look, it really hit me this year when my oldest daughter graduated from high school this year. And she started her first semester of college just a, lot, a couple weeks ago. But I remember I just I seen the pressure of her, especially as um, being a young woman and seeing things. And and I listen to her talk and I see what she's wanting to lay out for her life and just in conversations with her. And I see that she has all of these expectations that have been put upon her that were put upon not by necessarily me and my wife, but almost by society almost. And it's like, if you look at everybody and I think back to when I was at age two and like, I pretty much did everything up until I got into my late thirties. I did things because if I had to be honest for the most part, I was doing things because it was expected of me or what I thought was going to be acceptable either by society or the people that were around me. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely it does. You know, I, I have to tell you, and this is not, and I'm glad you brought this up about yourself, Richard, because it's not just with women and girls, right? It's right. with men and boys as well. I happen to be, you know, happen to be a woman and I'm, you know, a lot of my work has been spent and time has been spent with women and girls, you know, in this regard, because you have, you're right. It is society that basically says you need to be able to, let's just take women. Okay. You, that's fantastic. Let's say her name is Sarah or Sarah. I don't know if that's her name, but Sarah, you are, you know, that's fantastic that you want to be an astronaut. That is great. But you need to also make sure that you're a great wife, a great daughter, a great sister, um, you know, and a great mother and all these things. And oh, by the way, you've got to look good doing it. <laughs> right. 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 That is a tremendous amount of pressure. And when you talked about expectation, Richard, and this goes for both sexes, when you place an expectation upon someone else, it actually scientifically produces a toxic response right. uh, in the body. All right. So you will it will manifest in the form of you'll wonder why you get a stomach ache or why you might get a headache or why these things that we call stress. That's that five-letter word that we can talk about, too. But why those things manifest, they all manifest from expectations that are put upon us that we've allowed. And, you know, by society or in some cases when you're unlucky by your family or whatever it is. And so that's why I feel so strongly about teaching people to go within yourself so that you can get that direct route and that direct connection to the source of what is because once you have that belief in yourself nothing can penetrate that nothing, nothing. yeah no conditioning of any kind you know we are our own worst enemies and I, I and i think the moment i became comfortable with the fact that and a lot of times people don't and i've had some of my uh, people in my group coaching sessions they don't like me using this term but i can't think of any better that it is a daily battleground. And I think a lot of times people think, oh, that just means it's just full of strife and full of, uh, of, of just gory images and death and blood and sadness and all this other stuff. But I think, no, it's like you got to fall in love with the battle. It's almost like, how do I even describe it? It's almost like a marathon runner knows that running sucks and it hurts, right? But it, if you do it long enough, you become to the point to where you actually enjoy the struggle. Does that make, is that making any sense? And I, it absolutely does. And, and, and I, and I actually, I think that, you know, when you use the word battleground, it makes so much sense because at the end of the day, you are coming into contact with people that could be your adversary at the time, mm -hmm. whether you turn that around and they become your ally, that's up to you, right? Well, right. we can, you know, talk about that, but you're, you're right. They're landmines where you don't even know where they are. Okay. You may know where some bodies are buried, but maybe you don't, you don't know who you're going to come up with. So it absolutely makes sense. And, and the, and you bring up marathon runners and I love that because you, when you talk with a marathon runner, they'll talk about, like you said, the grind and, oh my gosh, my knees have given out and the, you know, all of that. But when you talk to them and you say, and you just, you just talk to them random, randomly and say, you know, what do you, what brings you the most pleasure? Or what do you love doing? The first thing they'll say is running. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> It's so true. And I think that if you fall in love with that, uh, 
I guess it for me, it's liberating to say, okay, I'm not striving for elimination of chaos because the chaos is going to be there no matter what I do, whether, no matter how hard I try, no matter how. And I'm not advocating that you bring and, and make it worse. But somehow, if, if you can understand and fall in love with the idea that it is a, ba- a daily battleground, and if you can fall in love with that and be the calming force within a chaotic situation, I think you, you, you set yourself apart from the everyday average mediocre. And I'm not trying to disparage the mediocre, but I'm just kind of tired of mediocrity. I think we celebrate it too much. And any chance that you can get to kind of separate yourself from that, that pack and live a life that, that is destined to be your purpose, then, then you're winning. I, I don't know. Absolutely. And and that's why, you know, Mahatma Gandhi said, you know, be the change you wish to see in the world. Because yeah. if you and, and you just said that it's so empowering what you said, because at the end of the day, you know, you are you are the person that can bring that change. And I've seen this in countless meetings and countless negotiations in countless um, personal relationships or interactions even though there may be that toxicity, there may be that strife, there may be that, you know, anxiety or whatever it is around you, you can change that with with some very simple things, but you cannot do it if you don't know how to connect within. I really, I yeah, promise you that. I agree. And, with I, you. Yeah. you know, and for me, that connection started, you know, my, my, my father, who I referred to several times. Um, he passed away very suddenly 19 years ago. I was really young and, um, and he died immediately of a heart attack and we saw him in the morning and we didn't see him at night. And Richard, it was horrific. I mean, you, you know, you know how close you are with your girls and you can imagine it was the same thing. And all at once, you know, the financial responsibility is, is, is on my shoulders. I'm the eldest, the emotional pain, that, that gut wrenching pain that you can't, it doesn't end is there. And what happened to me was I actually, and I had two younger sisters. I mean, the youngest was only about to graduate high school, you know, I mean, she's really young. And, um, the other one about to graduate college and I was only 20, uh, turning 23. And, I, you know, at that point, I was in and out of the hospital, Richard, for 30 days, and they didn't know what was wrong with me. One day, with countless MRIs and countless specialists, one day my arm would just not work. It went completely numb, or I couldn't walk, or my heart was beating so fast that they couldn't get it under control, or it was beating so slow that they didn't know if I was still there. You know what I mean? The stress that manifests in your body that happens when, 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 when life happens, because this is a, this is something that happened in my life, it changes you. And so what happened was, and why I'm, I'm bringing this up is to bring it to the going within. There was one day where I just, I honestly looked in the mirror and I didn't even know who that person was. Right. I all I saw was this like glass, the, the the shell of a body first of all, and glass in my eyes. There was no reflection, and I said, you know what? I I I've, I've got to change something. This is this cannot go on like this. I've got to take care of my family, and I've got to do this. And I honestly enrolled in a yoga class that day. Wow. And at the end of that yoga class, Richard, what was it? There was meditation. And that was 19 years ago. And meditation is not new to me. I used to see my father sitting on the banks of the Potomac River. I grew up in Mount Vernon meditating, and I thought the man was crazy. I thought he was crazy. I would see him sitting there meditating, and I said, I'm not going to do that. That, that, Who's going to sit that? I'm not doing that. 
I don't have time for that. I'd rather run. And he would do it after our run together. And I tell you, in going, going in, in that meditation, it just brought it right back to me because I knew it, right? I knew it in my soul. I'd seen it. And Richard, I never set foot in an emergency room again after that. I went there every day for two weeks. And after two weeks, I never went back to the emergency room because I got connected to the source. Yeah. You know, it's it's, so powerful. I think it's, you're so right. And I think that, I mean, the more that I've studied leadership and I think the, and the more I've talked to people, I've certainly come full circle on this too. I mean, if you would ask me 15 years ago, you know, coming out of the Marine Corps and thinking, well, you know, it's all (laughs) about hard work. It's all about you know, physical strength and brute force and powering through and all this and that. And sure, that's required at times, but how you cannot connect. I mean, t- to deny the fact that we're spiritual beings is, is, fo- is fool's work. You have to, I mean, if you deny that, you're shortchanging your potential and you're shortchanging, um, I mean, I don't know. I, I agree with you 100%. The spirituality piece is so important to leadership. I think this, because... I think the number one thing that you have to have to be a transformational leader, and when I talk about transformational leadership, is is training other people to be leaders and adding value to every people you come across. You have to be completely and 100% self-aware of who you are, and you cannot do that without being uh, entering a spiritual place. That's my opinion. Absolutely, and, and, and I completely agree with you. And what does this also do when we go within? You know what I found and and you bring up leadership, which I definitely want to um, talk about, that you check your ego at the door. Yes. Because when you go within, you're naked, literally naked yep. with yourself, right? Yep. And you're seeing the shadow side of yourself. You're seeing the fantastic side of yourself. You're seeing everything. And it's not all great, okay? Mm-hmm. And you you get into that space and then you become okay with all aspects of it so that when you meet other people you're not in there just to say hey i'm you know i'm doing this and i'm doing that and i deserve this promotion and i i deserve this or oh hear me in the meeting over here why didn't why didn't my why didn't my idea get you know taken to the top of the of the short list right what happens is you realize as a leader you know, you know, when we talk about leadership, a lot of people think of leadership as, you know, the act of having people follow you or lead by example. And the thing that I found, Richard, is that when you when you do that, you're just creating minions. Right. Honestly, yep. you're creating little mini versions of yourself and your organization or your family or whatever it is you do with your day. There's nothing that is going to be evolutionary about that at all. It is just going to be more of the same. So what I try and do here at Technolink at my firm is that I believe leadership is cultivating that fertile ground within the other person and aligning your vibration with that of the other person. Because what you get out of that and what I get out of that... It, it, it blows your mind. I cannot even. I cannot even tell you the amount of creative solutions we, as a company, have come up with that have not only changed our direction, but have tra- have not only translated into additional revenue, not only changed the direction, but have truly changed and affected my life because it's changed my perspective from just a person that maybe I would 
wouldn't have thought you would. Uh, let's say you're in a manager's meeting. You're just going to ask the people that are at the helm of leadership. Hey, what do you think? Try asking the people below them. You're right. going to get the best solutions. Oh, I love that you said that. Everything you're saying is music to my ears. You're right because I think again we're always looking for, especially new leaders. Or I've seen us. Even people in high positions are thinking they have to have all the answers. They have to. They're they they're telling themselves that they're expected to be this certain way as a leader. As, now that I'm in this role, I'm expected to do this. I agree. There are expectations of of professionalism, of decor, and things of of right and wrong. But I'm talking about the expectations. Thinking, okay, I'm a leader. I need to be this certain way. And if they would just focus on, or if we, as leaders, we would just focus on really getting in tune with who we really are, again, that self-awareness, uh, then the sky's the limit, like you said. I mean, that's, and, and the focus is not yourself, like you said. It's about transforming and adding value to everybody you come in contact with. It's not about you, but you and your needs and wants will get exponentially met far, far more than if you were just trying to focus on yourself. I don't know. Exactly. You talk about music to your ears. This is music to my ears hearing what you just said. It's so true. The gift you get back is so much more than just, you know, somebody saying, oh, you know, this CEO of TechLink, uh, you know, has accomplished this, 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 and this. Great. That's fantastic, right? But what change have you brought? What have you done in others' lives? What have you done to make them, you know, grow and and flourish on their own? And I think I, I, the amount I get from that is just, I mean, you can't beat it. So it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's all about creating, leaving a legacy, creating significance, you know, breaking through mediocrity. I don't know. I, I And again, this isn't, to disparage anybody or to, I just don't think people know or understand, right? I know even when I talk to organizations that have, I mean, large corporations and they, they hear me talk, some of us that think I'm crazy, you know, like, oh, it's all touchy feely. It's all about, you know, putting the nose to the grindstone and this and that. I'm not saying it's not, there's not hard work involved. Of course there is, but it has to be that you can do so much more by doing less sometimes. If you're fully in, in tune spiritually, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the key principles and in, in what, you know, and first of all, spirituality is not religion. There's no dogma. No. Yeah, right, it's not right. organized, you know, things like that. But it's it, it is it is it only has to do with the self. Right. It's going within yourself and and tapping into that source and then you know and then taking that energy because that's all we are is information and energy and and, you know, spreading that out there. And when you talk about corporations, you're right because they are so. And I'm I'm in a corporation myself, so I'm saying this as a CEO, um, even though we do things differently here. It's just so ego based. It's yeah. so ego based, and that that is the one thing that I think that when when CEOs or 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 any any and, and this does not have to be in in just corporate America in in, in whatever it is that you do. Once people see that, my gosh, my ROI on this is going to be infinitely more by implementing these things and me going within, they all sign up, right? But they have to see it like that. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that it doesn't it – by looking at it that way, I mean, I'm 
let me just ask you from your vantage point, from your own corporation, do people feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves? I mean, if you, if I asked all your employees, would would the bulk of the people say yes? They feel like they're tapped into something bigger than themselves. Absolutely, I I think they would, and I I I think they would also say that you know being here, it doesn't even feel like work. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like we are, we're, we're going, we're going towards a common goal, but I also get to flourish. My desires and my goals are being met. And then what happens is the productivity shoots up because when you have truly happy employees, and I want to talk about this one second, I don't know what you think about this, but I've seen when um when in other corporations where they'll say you know they'll they'll do some gallup poll or something with if their their employees are happy versus not happy when you ask just that question first of all to someone that's working in a corporation 99% of them will say they're happy because they're scared to lose their job right okay when you ask it straight on like that we never ask that question here what i do is i try to spend time with everyone and kind of just ask them, hey, what do you like about your job? You know, what do you like? What do you like about what you do? What, you know, can you tell me a little bit about that or whatever and things like that. And, and, and by the way, what are, what are you doing after work? What do you, what are, what are you and your family doing? What things do you like to do outside of, outside of being here? Because this is just what we do with our eight to 10 to 12 to 14 hours, depending on how long you work in a day. That's just one role that you play. You know what I mean? You have many other roles. And I think where corporate America tends to fall short is that they only see that one role and where it applies to them, right? And they don't understand that if you don't tap into the other roles that other people play, you are going to lose out on your productivity and therefore your bottom line. I love that you said that. You know, one of the things that I love teaching people to do is when it comes to maybe supervisors, leaders, and managers when they have these, the importance of one-on-ones, obviously, and and connecting with the employees. But even that sometimes when I ask them, okay, let's do a one-on-one, what are you going to ask them? And it's always the standard stock kind of corporate questions. And I always share with them, I got a list of 32 questions of saying, okay, and it taps into their spirituality, to their family, to their career, to their finances. I mean, what are their dreams? All those types of things. And it's so amazing how if you just ask simple questions, you know, like what are the top three priorities for your family? Nobody ever asks you that. And a boss never asks a subordinate that. But the, that power that happens when you ask a question like that, it completely can start a transformation, I think, anyway. I've seen it happen. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. It absolutely does. I've seen it happen, too. I'm so – I think it's so refreshing that you do that. I mean, because then it's just – it's it's many people doing that, and then you get an exponential effect because it, it, it just it, – the ripple effect happens. And I think – and I'm sure you've noticed this, too. When you ask those questions – a lot of people, their first reaction will be to hesitate because yeah. not because they don't want to answer it, but because they've never been asked it before. Right. They've never been asked it before. And it and it's just, you know what I feel? Have you seen the movie? I'm gonna I'm gonna pronounce this the way we pronounce it in, in, in Hindi, but Avtar, it's they call it Avatar here. Oh, yeah. Have you seen Avatar? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Okay. So what I loved about Avtar was do you remember the point in the movie when um the the the, the the protagonist, the main character, says to the female uh, character, his love interest, he says, uh, I see you. Yeah, 
I remember. Right? Mm -hmm. That is so powerful. That's what I feel we all want, is you want someone to say, I see you. Not I hear you, not I get you, but I see you. And that's what what we try to do here. Yeah, I love that. In my organization, in technology. Well, I think, you know, going back to expectations, I think a lot of it goes back to the expectations of this, you know, this, this... Frederick Taylor, this Tayloristic type of mentality that yes. was brought out of the Industrial Revolution, you know, it's still with us. And I don't, I, it drives me crazy. And, you know, and I think a lot of times, even when I say this to people, that the Marine Corps was one of the most spiritual organizations that I've ever worked for. And a lot of people think that's crazy. But I'm telling you, you cannot survive in a chaotic environment. And maybe even some of my fellow Marines would argue with me on some of this, but I can't tell you an organization that was more tapped into love and spirituality than the Marine Corps. And for what they have to do, it's a requirement. And maybe if they thought about it, I think I almost, I can get every um, Marine Corps officer that I've talked with, or even some of the enlisted Marines, if they really thought about why they do what they did, because they felt like they were part of something bigger than themselves. And they didn't do these things because they were trying to save the country. They were doing it because they had absolute unconditional love for the person that was sitting next to them. And, and I'm telling you, you can create that in any environment. It's nothing magical. It's not the fact that we're doing something that's just life-threatening and living on the edge. It's, it's deeper than that. It, at the root of it is love. And I think if every organization was focused on that, it, it, and to do that, you have to stap, tap into the spiritual side of it. You have to. It's, it's a requirement. That is just, I mean, when you were saying that, I just, uh, it just took, took me a second. I was just listening, and I could actually feel the passion in your voice just increased and I felt like I was there. I've never had the honor of serving in our country's military, but I just, it, you just want to sign up after hearing well, yeah. that. That's fantastic. Well, and I just think that that's what, that's what, this is what's drove, drive, driven me crazy in the corporate arena is that it's, if everybody doesn't, or they don't even think about it, or they just don't know. First and foremost, they just don't know that that type exists and i'm not saying the marine corps is perfect it's not i mean it has its its bad leaders and its bureaucracy and everything else but i'm talking in the ideal of what what, uh, i've seen glimpses of it and and i've experienced it firsthand myself and certainly those world war ii vets and the korean vets and the vietnam vets and the gulf war vets that i've talked to and when he really gets down to it and they think back of it it all goes back to that root level and organizations can do it i I'm sorry, you know. The, I don't care if you're making plastic bird feeders and importing them from China. If you make, if you look at it in the sense of, you know, yeah, we got to make the best plastic bird feeder, but if you can turn around and say, why is this so important? It's because 400 lives are at stake. All these lives that are at stake, this legacy that we built, this, you know, when you start communicating in those terms, then people start getting excited. It doesn't matter what the product is. I don't know. Sorry, I didn't mean to get Absolutely. on my soapbox. I, I know, and I know, and I agree with you because at a cellular level and at a soul level, we want to be yes. part of some, not only something bigger than ourselves, we're drawn to that path. I mean, in Sanskrit, the word dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A, when they say follow your dharma, follow your dharma that is your path that is following what your your soul is calling you to do that and anytime you go against and i'm sure you've seen this in your life richard i can tell you probably have you know when you try and i've done this many times myself where you try to go uh, go down a path that is not in line with what your soul mm-hmm. yep. truly wants yep. you you won't be able to sleep at night yep you cannot i've had sleepless nights because of that yep and until you change the cadence, it doesn't change. 
every time where I've been alive, no matter what choice I've made in my life, every time where I was fully alive was the moments that I listened to my purpose and my, and, and my soul and made the decision based on that, not based on some expectation. Every time, every time I've made a decision or a life event based on an expectation that I knew wasn't aligned and wasn't aligned with who I was, and then it, it ended in abject failure every single time. Every single time. And that's why, I mean, I love that you, that you talk about this. I mean, I think a lot of times when people say, oh, well, you know, spirituality, it means this, you know, that means that we're burning incense and I'm walking around and, you know, peace and love, quoting Ringo Starr everywhere I go. But that's not what it's about. It's about complete self-awareness in my, my opinion. And yeah, you're doing it. You're doing it. And it's not that you're not having a profitable organization or one that's thriving. In fact, you're going to you're going to see so much more than that. So, I mean, I guess what we're saying here is that it, you're not giving that up. Right. No, you're actually yeah. manifesting more of that. Absolutely. You you're know? taking it to a whole nother level, because I think if you try to rely personally, if I think if you try to rely on what's expected of you, what historically you, you've seen. I mean, you just, you just reach a level of, of media. You just, you, you top out at a level that's far less than what it can be. I mean, I don't know. I mean, even look at, I don't, this isn't a political show, but I mean, it just drives me crazy when I look at, you know, what do people get excited about? They get excited over egocentric leaders that don't really know anything about leadership for, to be, to be quite honest. I mean, they've been successful, but I mean, our best choices are a Donald Trump or a, or a Hillary Clinton. To me, those aren't those aren't great examples of spiritual leadership. But then, what's success, right? You know what I mean. That then becomes the question: What is success? Is it is it defined just by um, what your bank balance is, or you know, mm, what yeah, is that what well, it is, or how many things you have, or is it just defined about how many fruitful relationships you have? What is it? I mean, there's no judgment in that, but. That's the other thing. I mean, don't you think, Richard, that it's that our definition even of success is skewed? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's certainly subjective. But I think if you if you could measure your success, I think a lot of it will be written long after you're gone. I think it's, it's, it's how broad your shoulders are when when you've assumed room temperature, you know, and how many people are standing on it. That's how I think that's how you define success and how many lives are impacted by it. It's not defined by, I mean, if you're still struggling with your self-worth when you're, when you have on the outset, everything that, that we think we want, the big bank balance, the, the, the nice house, the, the loving family and all that other stuff. I mean, if you still feel empty inside and you're, and you're basing your self-worth on your performance and other people's opinions of you, then, then you're living a lie. I think if you, if, if you base, if you base your self-worth on what is true and the truth is that we're spiritual beings and we do have a higher calling and that we do have a higher purpose. And if you don't live out that purpose, then shame on you. That's how I look at it. And shame no, on and you. No, absolutely. You're, you're, you are, to, I mean, to me, your success is in your wake. You know what I mean? Yeah, in the, the wake. Like yeah, the wake of the ship. Yep, I love that. And that yeah. is what it is, just like what you said. You know, what it is that, what is your legacy? What do you, and it, it doesn't have to be after you've passed on your daily choices that you make leave your wake i love that's a much better way than i said yeah i like that the wake is a much better analogy you're absolutely right and you don't have to be gone to to see that you're absolutely right 
Oh, man, you got to give me goosebumps on this conversation. Yeah, me too. I'm getting them too. <laughs> <laughs> so is that, I mean, a lot of it, or what we're talking in here, and I haven't had the chance because this interview, I mean, you know, our mutual friend, uh, Callie, introduced us here. And um, The Om Factor is the book that you had, the, the Woman's Spiritual Guide to Leadership. Have we hit a lot of the stuff that's in the book? I mean, have we scratched the surface on what that book is about? We, we actually have in, in a very big way. Um, the, you know, the thing with the Ohm Factor, it's it, it, the Ohm Factor. When why I coined that phase is that phrase rather is that you know I was meeting these people um, like the Deepak Chopras, like the Diane von Furstenbergs, like the Ariana Huffingtons, or people that we all know. It doesn't have to be those people that are just operating at a really high level. They have multi-million, multi-billion dollar organizations that they're responsible for. They have large, uh, expansive philanthropic uh, responsibilities. They have beautiful familial and friendship relationships. And they're super nice when you meet them. And it seems like they're going, 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 but they don't seem stressed. They right. seem like they just flow. It's like they saunter into a room. They don't even walk in. They saunter into a room and they have this infectious energy and people just want to be around them. And I asked all of these people and I've, and I've talked to people uh, you know, that are similar to them and we can all think of those people and even look at ourselves they all have a foundational practice of meditation of some sort, mm. some sort of practice that goes within. So I coined the phrase the Ohm Factor. And the reason the book was even written is that it was, you know, it's all based on what I've kind of learned throughout uh, my role uh, in my various roles in life, but especially my role at being the, at the helm right now of Technolink. Um, you know, where where I would have all these situations that would come up, Richard, that we all do. And it's there, you know, these these there's seven emotions that I feel that we feel in the moment, whether it's anger and resentment, anxiety, overwhelm, indecisiveness, these types of things. And there was never anything out there that I had found that allowed me to deal with those things in the moment when I'm dealing with that challenging colleague, when I'm doing that, you know, multi-million, multi-billion dollar negotiation and, and things aren't going well, what can I do then, right? There were a lot of things that told me how to journal when I got home, but I needed to learn what I did then. And I found myself doing certain things uh, that in that moment, even when people, when I was sitting at my desk or even in the middle of the negotiation, and I found that they worked. They actually not only not only changed the tone of the conversation, not only changed the direction of the conversation, but they changed the outcome of the conversation. Mm. And so I just, I kind of took those things and, and wrote about those in the first part of the book. And then the second part of the book is about the seven traits that you can cultivate so that you, so that those feelings, that those uh, hemorrhaging feelings arise less often. And when they do arise, you respond to them rather than react to them. Oh, I love that, yeah. So it's very plug and play, Richard. It's very plug and play type of spirituality where you can apply it uh, 
you know, right here and now, it uh, it is something that um, a lot of men are coming up to me and asking why I, you know, have the subtitle, A Woman's Spiritual Guide to Leadership, because they said, we feel these things. And I said, well, great, fantastic, read it, you know. Um, I was blessed, uh, you know, God God rest Dr. Dyer's soul, Dr. Oh, Wayne yeah. Dyer, um, who passed away a couple of days ago, uh, just, uh, you know, endorsed the book as well as Dr. Deepak Chopra. And um, those are men that are very, that are pioneers in their field. And um, and it's just an honor that they're finding value. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, yeah, they showed um, Dr. Dyer's uh Super Soul Sunday interview Sunday morning yeah. and uh, was watching that and uh, yeah. yeah he he was talking a lot of what we we're talking about here the expectation piece right the moment he stopped living a life of expectations and and tapping into that spiritual side uh, things started to change for him yes yeah well that's I gotta yeah I was gonna that was gonna be one of my questions like hey can I read this obviously I knew the answer to that but I was just gonna <laughs> say you know certainly we can tap into this and I think a lot of times that um, as a man, we 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 tend to think it's it's, uh, and I hate to stereotype, but I mean it, it is. We think oh, it's, we got to get to the nose of the grindstone. This isn't for me. Just much like you had the reaction you did when you're watching your father doing on the P- Potomac. <laughs> Most people think that there's no place in that for leadership and for running a business or running your life. But uh, I just I I'm glad you're doing this and bringing us to the forefront because I. I've certainly come around to this. And uh, let me ask you this. Are you intentionally, do you have a disciplined habits that you do every morning as a successful leader? Do you, I mean, what do you do? Yes. So I I start every day with meditation and I want to say something about meditation because a lot of people, when you hear the word meditation and you know this Richard from talking to the people that you, that you guide throughout your life, they, they picture, I think in their mind, they picture someone sitting on top of a mountain somewhere and saying, Oh, and then the second thing that happens right after that is they just say, I don't have time for that. Right. They either say that out loud Mm -hmm. or they say it to themselves. And the thing about meditation is, is that it does not matter how long you do it. It is how often you do it, meaning how consistent you are. So, you know, even in the book, I discuss this, that you can do two minutes, meaning put on your iPhone. I'm an iPhone girl, but you put on your iPhone two minutes and you sit and just simply observe your breath. Whether you're just sitting in your chair, if you can't, if your knees are shot, um, then you're that marathon runner or sitting, you know, um, cross-legged wherever you are, it doesn't matter. And you just simply observe your breath without manipulating it or judging it, meaning you're not counting the breaths or saying that you have to do it for a certain amount of time and just be and let that timer run out after two minutes. I promise you, if you do that every day, day for two weeks it will be better than you doing 30 minutes once a week i agree with you and, and if i can confess to you i've started doing that um simply and it was but i do um because i find myself particularly because i'm spinning so many plates and i just like i cannot shut my mind off and I, it's about to it drives me crazy right the toxicity you can feel it you can feel it in your gut you can feel it in your blood and your bones i do anyway and when i get up the first thing i do in the morning is i when my feet hit the floor i say thank you that I can put my feet on the floor. And then I do that. I, and I count, I breathe in real slow, but I, I count and I focus just on, just on the breath and the count. I know I, you said to don't focus on the counting just to be present, but I find that, but just by doing that, my mind, it, 
I don't know, there's a physical feeling of clarity in my mind, at least for, for starting out that day. And so I'm a yeah, huge absolutely, absolutely. And you and whether you count or not, that's fantastic that you're doing that because what you're doing is you're connecting not only with yourself, but you're connecting with that that breath, that prana, that life force, and 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 you start it with gratitude, and that's fantastic. I love what you do. That's that's great, and it doesn't matter how long you do it for, right? But if you, I'm sure you found that if there's ever a day where you didn't do that, in your case, maybe you haven't had a day where you didn't. But if you, I I, I promise you, if you try this, whether it's for the two minutes that I'm suggesting or doing what you're suggesting, if you if there's a day you don't do it, I promise you, you're going to notice a difference. Yep, I agree. Because you take that, um, the reason why, um, the reason why meditation works, I mean, so I want to, so we've lifted the veil on the, on the, on the semantics of meditation, right? We've, we've said that it's not this sitting on a mountain right. um, and you do have time for it because if you have time for it and I have time for it, everyone has time for it. Right. So, exactly right. yeah. <laughs> because there are people infinitely bu- busier than both of us that do this as well. Um, when you're doing that and, and what happens is that stillness that's there because you do experience that stillness even if it's for that one minute or 30 seconds you take that with you in every interaction that you have after that moment yeah and that is where your responsiveness comes in and not your reaction i can't even tell you just even talking with you here in this in this conversation i can even sense your vibration i can sense your energy just being very much in tune with what it is that you are talking about. You're in this present moment. You're not thinking, you know, about, you know, what I have to do later, what I have to do, you know, after this, you're here with me now. I can feel that, you know, and that's, that's what you want because it's in that present moment that all, anything that we want to manifest has to happen here. Because if you don't, if you're thinking about the future, what are you manifesting? Anxiety. Exactly. You know, it's what's going to happen, what might happen, what will happen, you know? Yeah, it's cliche, but it's, 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 the saying is just be present, be here right now, because that's all you have. That is all that you have. And, you know, you can't control the only, th- the two things you can control is preparing for something that might happen and, and preparing or your reaction when something actually does. The moment that actually something does happen doesn't even belong to you. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the way I look at it. And yet, Absolutely. It doesn't exist. I agree. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, be, yeah, I don't know. I love all this stuff. I mean, it's so, it, it, but it is, I think it's, it's important for people to know that it's something, it's an intentionality that you have to, to do. And even if you just start small, the compound effect is what you're talking about. You're, the compound effect is, is what's going to, you know, two weeks, two months, two years, 20 years down the road, you're going to see. And you're going to get to the point where like, if I, how did I ever not do this? I mean, that's how I look at it. Yeah. It becomes addictive. Actually, mm-hmm. you really develop an addiction to it. And I think that, and, and I think that you will, you won't even, it won't even take two weeks to notice it. Uh-uh. I have someone just recently that said, you know what? I'm going to take you up on this. I'm going to, you said two minutes. You know what? I've never done that before. I don't, I don't believe you. I don't think two minutes a day is going to do it. I'm going to do it and I'm going to get back to you. I said, just do it for seven days. If you can do that, right? Do it for seven days and then reach back out to me. That person called me back and said, it changed my life. It changed my life. 
everything that was going wrong is not going wrong anymore. Everything that I thought was one way, I don't think of it like that anymore. But do you know what? The circumstances did not change. The outcome changed. Why? Because just like Max Planck says, the, the physicist, that when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. There is a true a true difference that happens in the outcome. It's not just, oh, you know, she just started perceiving things differently and, and oh, that's what happened. No, there was real change. She didn't have those that strife anymore. She didn't have those conflicts anymore because, because what happens is that stillness that she brought with her and that energy and that vibration like you do with your with people that you come in contact with, it forever changes them because they have that uh, that uh, that exchange of energy, yeah. and then it all changes because that's all we are. Yeah. So what gives you what gives you life? What gives me life? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what gives me life? What gives me life is when I feel that I have lit the light in someone else. Yeah. That's what does it for me. How would you define God? God to me is, you know, that is a, that's a challenging one. I think God is within all of us. Mm -hmm. I don't, um, that is, that is my true, that is my true definition of God is that when, when you are able to tap within to the source and that source and that light and that energy within yourself, to me, that is God. That is getting closer to God because God is to me, the highest vibration that you can reach where you are able to go beyond the self and truly bring transformation, truly part of evolution. Yeah, I love that. That's a great answer. I'd agree with you. I'm curious about who your heroes are. If you had the chance to have the ultimate dinner party where you could invite five people, live or dead, it doesn't... There's no rules here except for that. Live or dead, who would those five people be for this one night of just fantastic conversation? For dinner, I would invite, and they would all have to be present at the same dinner, not one-on-one? Yep, all five. Okay, so now, now you're making me think of their personalities too. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. so first I would invite my father, yeah. and then I would invite uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Yeah. Then I would invite uh, Mahatma Gandhi. Mm. Then I would invite the Dalai Lama. And then I would probably round that out with Margaret Thatcher. Wow, that's a great, great list. I'd love to meet Margaret Thatcher. Well, I'd like to meet all those that you talked about. But yeah, I I think you're the first person that said Thatcher. Yeah, I, I always admired her. I just, I love how, I love how she was able to command, I mean, truly command respect and be able to basically see the forest from the trees. And even if there's a room full of men, a room full of leaders, a room full of anyone, she could break through that just with one or two sentences and and say what she had to say. And that's the way it was. And I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for her with that. Yeah, yeah she definitely understood leadership, you know. Yes. And um, on a whole different level, that's just, yeah. You know, amazing about King, too, is how he, I was just, where was I? In San Francisco with my daughter. We were, saw something about Martin Luther King. I can't 
can't remember where we were at. But anyway, I'm just always surprised at how young he was. You know, you picture a man that was in his late 40s, early 50s, and he was in his 30s, you know, when he when he won the Nobel Prize, you know. He was early uh, 30s. I was like, oh, my gosh. What have I done? And you talk about inspiring when I, you know, again, all these different people that you've asked me about, um, you know, they all bring different things. But that inspiration that he brought with just that you talk about being infectious, you know, yeah. and just how he could just talk to someone and then they feel like, you know what, I can, I'm going to go run for president tomorrow. I'm just going to do that. And it's going to, it's going to be, you know, that's just who he is, is he, or who he was, I say is, but who he was, you know, and I, and I love that when you, when you can take someone, I mean, we all strive for that because you want to be the change. When you take someone and you can light that lamp and light that switch or light that candle within them so that they go out and do things that just are that are changing beyond what you could ever do even just by yourself what what more do you want yeah exactly you know what a great list well hopefully i'm invited i can serve the drinks or the hors d'oeuvres or something and listen to that conversation what would you say to your yeah. father what was the one thing you'd want to, want him to know now I'd want him to, at first, I, I'd want to say thank you, you know, because he did, I was very young when he passed, so I didn't, I didn't even know, you know, he wasn't sick, so I, I mean, who would imagine when you're 23 that your dad's not going to be around, you know, you just, yeah. I get, you know, a lot of people have experienced that, but I, I didn't think that, I, w- I would tell him first, thank you, and uh, then I would tell him that, you know, you were right, so. Awesome. Well, okay, this has just been a fun conversation. I hope you have enjoyed it as well. I know that the listeners got some value out of this one, but uh, how can people connect with you and, and learn more about you and the book? Um, great. I, 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 I can't even believe that this is ending now because I could talk to you. <laughs> I keep talking yeah. with you. It's been a phenomenal conversation. So to connect with me, you can go to my website at uh, www.alkadillon.com. D-H-I-L-L-O-N.com. You can follow me on Twitter at The Spiritual CEO, T-H-E, Spiritual CEO, on Instagram at The Spiritual CEO, and on Facebook on Alka Dillon, at Alka Dillon, A-L-K-A-D-H-I-L-L-O-N. And um, you can get The Ohm Factor anywhere books are sold, again, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever. And uh, I, I look forward to communicating with everyone. I'm very active on social media, so I will respond. Very good. Well, I'll have links to all this on the post. Guys, a true blessing and an honor to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on the show. Hang on the line a little bit. We'll talk. But, uh, guys, thanks for coming on. We'll do. Thank you. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.